This is Recorded Future, Inside Security Intelligence. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 198 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. On today's program, a conversation with a pair of CEOs from leading companies in the cybersecurity industry. Joining us are Martin Mikos, CEO of bug bounty platform provider HackerOne, and Christopher Alberg, CEO at Recorded Future. They share their insights on what it takes to be a successful CEO in a rapidly changing cybersecurity field, the importance, or not, of having deep technical skills, how to differentiate yourself in a crowded marketplace, and the ongoing challenges of the unknown unknowns. Stay with us. So before we dig into some of the topics we're going to talk about today, um, our audience is uh, familiar with Christopher. He's been on the show a few times. But uh, Martin, can you give us a little brief overview of of the type of work that you do at HackerOne? At HackerOne, we crowdsource security to a million ethical hackers in the world. They come in and they hack your systems. And instead of breaking in, they tell you what they find so you can fix it. And in that way, you reduce your cyber risk, your risk of data breach. You know, since we have this opportunity of of having uh, two leaders of cybersecurity companies, why don't we dig in a little bit and and talk about what that experience is like, what what the day-to-day is like of of running successful cybersecurity companies. Christopher, why don't we start with you? Oh, that's a good question. So I think about it as sort of you've got to... Have sort of balance your time. Uh, first of all, start with your customers, start with your clients. You know, you got to make sure that you and, and you know the the thing when you run a company is that there's so many things that people try to make you do. So you have to sort of be vehemently focused on stay focus on customers, trying to understand the problems they want to solve. You know, figure out how you can do clever things with that. Uh, I'm a technical sort of CEO. I'm a geek by background, so I tend to f- try to think for a fair amount and spend time in our product stuff, you know, how can we actually shape this, you know, to, to solve for, for the customer problems and then making sure that you have the right people on board, which means that you're involved in recruiting and all kinds of different things that are, whether it's sort of very short term, you know, get Sally or Bob or uh, Lisa onto the team, or you think about sort of the long term, two to three, four, five years. How do we make sure that we get great people on board? Make sure that those can develop themselves in great ways inside the company, and just make sure you have a great team. So if you spend time on those three areas, I think you do pretty well. A lot of people tend to sort of be focused on fundraising and all kinds of other weird things that I think sort of come for free if you do what I just talked about, sort of. Uh, and and so customers and and sort of product and technology being real clever about that and your people and then then things will work out great. I agree with what Christopher said, but I would also say I've been I built a, a number of businesses in my career, and in cybersecurity, while what I find intriguing is that we are all trying to make turn trying to turn bad news into good news. Like cybersecurity is dealing with problems, dealing with risks, dealing with nasty things, dealing with things you wouldn't want to deal with, dealing with things where people have made mistakes. So there's a lot of sort of cleaning up and dirt and bad stuff there. But but for the business to work, we have to turn it around and show the benefit of it. 
and uh, a customer, a CISO or anybody else in the security business, they don't want to be the one saying no in their company. They want to be a business enabler. So, so it's mentally a, a demanding question on how to turn all that bad stuff into good news for business. And to me, hmm. that's, that's an intriguing challenge with any cybersecurity business. Does that resonate with you, Christopher? No, I think so. It is very interesting. And, and you know, in general, running companies, general running startups, I, I always like to say that people say, they try to say that this startup stuff is sort of has good and bad days. And I'm like, no, nah, you know what, really, it has 29 bad days, but it is just that one day, one day out of the 30 that really awesome. And that makes up for the bad 29. So you sort of generally in startup land live in this sort of uh, pretty up and down and, and lots of down sort of days. And then you overlay on that to, to Morton's point, the idea that you, you frankly are dealing with you know, potential bad constantly. And it's, it can be taxing. And, and I think I'm fine with that. I'm sure Morton is a super strong guy, so he can sort of deal with that. But you've got to make sure that your team can deal with that in a decent way. And, you know, through the last year, when you put sort of COVID on top of this, it, it certainly hasn't been really easy. So it's, I think it's a great point. Yeah, there is this, this picture circulating in social media amongst cybersecurity people with what is it, a dog or a cat sitting in a burning house and there are flames all over? And then the animal says, it's all right, or it's good. And it's, it, it, it's yeah, this is fine, exactly. It's so much the, the reality that we have to deal with burning fires all the time, and yet we have to maintain our calm and balance and composure and, and see the, the good news in it. So uh, to me, that's, that's what makes cybersecurity exciting. I think what, what, you know, so what's interesting there, Morton, is that I think about our business being intelligence and our, our job is to make sure that a CISO or other decision makers get the best information flow there can ever be. Uh, and what you're doing by sort of crowdsourcing vulnerabilities across all these eth ethical hackers, sort of similar. You create a fantastic information flow and a decision making sort of flow to, to the CISO and, and other sort of uh, people in, on the client, client side of things. And, and you're right, when you get that information flow, it's not unlike somebody who works in a, whether it's a human intelligence organization or a SIGINT organization, whatever it is, it's sort of like you're basically having bad news coming at you, <laughs> potential bad news coming at you at high pace. And, and if you start, if you operate in a way where you panic on that, and you, you just can't, you know, the, and I think that's sort of as leaders, our job is to sort of take this, this sort of flow of information it just makes sure that it turn, turns it into something good. And I like that. I'm starting to think about product changes that we need to do to, to think about that. That's very powerful. Yeah, I tell our customers sometimes that somebody will break into your system and please let it be us. <laughs> yeah, because when we do it, we will actually help you fix it. But there are many other, other people and groups and what, what not who will just break into steal information or disrupt operation or change change what goes into drinking water or something like that you know it strikes me that that many startups begin because someone has an idea about a problem they want to solve you know they 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 there's something that they have an itch they want to scratch they want to fix something that's out there but a lot of folks don't consider what it also takes to be the person running a company and that 
solving a problem and running a company are not the same thing, and they quite often require different skill sets. I'm I'm curious from both of you, how has that uh, adjustment been, or or how has that reality been? Is is running the business itself something that you enjoy, Martin? Let's start with you. Yeah, absolutely. It sort of is the only thing I can do. I don't have business ideas. I don't start great companies. Like I don't do that. But but I do love getting people together, aligning them behind a goal or a mission that the founders figured out, and then pushing, driving, getting to that goal, climbing the hill together. And and I'm so thankful that there are founders out there who have these amazing startup ideas because because I need something like that for to be successful as a CEO. And and then I find founders who need me, who who need sort of a professional dedicated CEO who loves just being the CEO. Mm-hmm. Christopher? No, I think that's why I always get so inspired when I get to have dinner with Morton or get to spend have have some drinks with him and, and this sort of uh, because he is, is exceedingly good at what he just is described. So I'm more of the geek and, and have been lucky to sort of stumble on what, two ideas, one for a spot fire that came out of my PhD and then when we cooked up Recorded Future. And that was more in that sort of realm of like, you know, you find a big ass hammer and now, you know, you go look for nails to to sort of apply it to. <laughs> uh, so so that's sort of what I've been doing. Uh, we were lucky in both cases now with Recorded Future to stumble on intelligence and threat intelligence as sort of be, becoming a very big nail to try to hit it on. I. I certainly still love the the geeky part of it uh, about, you know, running the company and trying to set an operational high pace that sort of with effective sort of uh, execution is pretty enticing, too. So, you know, I like both. I certainly like both. Now, Martin, you came from outside of the cybersecurity field. What was that like for you getting up to speed in cyber? <laughs> I love the question because I had decided I will not go into cyber I, I told myself, uh, I f- sort of falsely told myself that that industry is full of negative, cynical, nitpicky people, and I don't want to be there. Uh, so when I when I met with the founders of HackerOne, I came with really a lot of prejudice and sort of negativity. But they turned me around in a nanosecond. They told me how they think about security, that you need to be open, not closed. You need to collaborate, not work in silos. Uh, you need to share, not hide. And and suddenly I realized that they were revolutionizing cybersecurity to turn it into a positive, constructive movement. So I was ready to sign on that moment. It was, although I knew nothing about it, like in a way, I'm, um, you could say I'm repenting now because I've been there building internet software for 20 years that didn't have any proper uh, cybersecurity precautions or protections. And we shipped my SQL without the password or with the default password just to make it easy for people to use. We didn't do anything to, to make it secure. So now I get to sort of fix my own mistakes from the past by making sure that we build a new internet with ac- which actually is secure because what we've built so far is a really crappy, shitty prototype of a digital society. Hmm. That's a great point. I remember, Morten, when you called me uh, 
you know, I also came from outside security, but I had maybe had a few years of head, uh, what do you say, being a head it's there. Just, yeah, and, yeah. and you called me because you were coming to Boston to visit your son, I think, and, and said, look, you got to tell me a little bit about this security stuff. And I was like, I don't know much, but let me, let me try to tell you the stuff that I do know. And, and yeah. that was so, so whatever I, I'm wrong about cybersecurity, I'll just blame it on Christopher because he was my first, he was my first teacher. It seems like it worked out fine for both of you. Uh, <laughs> let, let's we're, we're touch working on, on it. We're working on it. I'm yeah. sure Christopher will say that it's day one of the business and they've only touched the percent of the target market, which is true for us at least. It's true. You know, look, we're, yeah. we're at 140 million and, uh, of sales and we think the market is 25 billion. So, you know, that we're, it's early days. Well, uh, let's talk about then uh, how do you go about... Um, adding value in the cybersecurity field. It's such a crowded space. How do you differentiate yourselves? Christopher? I, you know, we've tried a couple of different ways. I think there is something going on in cybersecurity that there's frankly too much money going around. Uh, so people are, you know, advertising on Formula One cars, applying 10 million bucks on that, or they're doing, you know, TV advertising on Super Bowl or, or uh, whatever sort of football Thing. I can't say that I care much about that, but you know they they and they spend you know literally crazy amounts of money on this stuff, and you know we've tried to be use information. We're an intelligence company, so you know we write intelligence. We uh, started out as you well know, it's our own media outlet, the record. We're publishing books. We're you know we're doing training on on building a profession essentially of intel analysts. So we really try to take that sort of flow or approach to building an, you know, an information sort of approach or a content a content marketing people would call it in startup languages language. And so that's how we've tried to do it, and that seems to have been working out. So I don't know. What about you, Morton? Uh, we differentiate by reducing our customer cyber risk faster than anything else. Uh, we uh, differentiate by getting paid for results, not for empty promises. We don't ship you just more and more firewalls and antivirus software to sort of try to make you fa falsely believe you're safe. But we deliver real value, tangible value, value that nobody else could find. Like the vulnerabilities our hackers find cannot be found or are not found by scanners. They are not found in pen testing. They are not found in QA processes. They are found only in two places, by criminals and by our hackers. So you have to choose who do you want to find, who do you want there to be the first one finding the vulnerability? That's good. That's good. And, and at some level, you know, this is where I think there are sort of interesting similarities to what we do with intelligence is that, you know, we go and infiltrate the, the hackers themselves, the bad guys. So we infiltrate them and try to find their intents and capabilities uh, before they come at you. We try to, you know, do likewise to go after state state-run actors, be it Iran and China and Russia and so on, and understand their capabilities and intents and, and help you defend ahead of that, you know, getting getting ahead of the curve. Which I, and here is where I think we're sort of in similar type of businesses, even though we're going at it in a very different way, is sort of trying to find the, the bad news before before the bad guys, uh, bad, bad guys comes along with it. I agree. And, and here you could see the immaturity of the market, that we are not yet coordinating our efforts as much as we could between Recorded Future and HackerOne. Like we, we will come to a day when 
intelligence like you are collecting will be combined with the practical day-to-day findings of our world and that will produce an even clearer picture of what's going on, much clearer than the criminals or the adversaries have at their hands. And that's how we will ultimately beat them uh, by by pooling the defense and using all our resources on the defense side. And then it will be much, much stronger than any nation state, any criminal group, any activities, any terrorist, whatever we have there on the other side. That's a great point because the, you know, you know, the criminals have some levels of sharing. And in fact, in many ways, they are pretty effective at sharing, you know, whether it's sort of the Russian criminals who are in their forums where they're sort of sharing methodologies and, you know, so they have actually better sharing methodologies right now than what, you know, we have governments are trying to set up, you know, sharing mechanisms and so on. So I think the criminals are ahead of us now. But to your point, if we were smarter around this, we could outsmart these guys just because in sheer numbers, in sheer budget and all of that, there's no reason they should be ahead. Yeah. And and we have a concrete example on our side. We've been running the Hack the Pentagon program for five years now, for the Pentagon. We've found 25,000 vulnerabilities in the systems. They are now rolling out an extension of it where they go to the private sector and say, if you are a vendor to the DOD, you can be part of this program as well. Because uh, DOD knows that they are not secure until also their vendors and suppliers are secure. So now they're extending our program to private sector companies as well. That is a very good way of strengthening the cyber defenses across organizational boundaries. And it hasn't been done before, but, but we're doing it. That's no, great. I think that's a great point, and I think we've been very proud about it. Similarly, what we've been able to do with U.S. Cyber Command and, and sort of as our big contract there, being able to be, be part of defending both core infrastructure for the government, but then extending further into really sort of being able to use those vast resources uh, to, to make life miserable for the adversary, and, and yeah, eventually yeah. will have a good effect. And people think there's a lot of adversaries and a lot of bad people. They are not many. They're bad. They're very bad, but they're not very many. So, so by, by pooling our resources and getting everybody together, we, we will outpower them, outsmart them, outrun them, outmaneuver them, everything. Like it, we have, just in our community, we already have a million hackers signed up to, to do good work, to hack for good. That's, that's more than there are black hats in the whole world, much, much more. I'm curious, you know, it's, it strikes me that something perhaps both of your companies have in common is that before your customers engage with you, it's likely that they don't know what they don't know, that you provide insights, you provide them with information they, they likely would not have been able to get on their own. Is, is that an accurate description? Yeah, it is. It is. It's very much so. And and of course, everybody has this. We all don't know what we don't know. Like it's a universal truth. But mm. it is. It is very poignant in cybersecurity because that's where the worst uh, threats and the worst breaches happen. So when you look at the absolutely worst cases, like an Equifax or something, well, they knew about the vulnerability. But it's it's the unknown unknown that produces the most dramatic, terrible outcomes. So you must look for them. And then we have these unbiased uh, hackers, very creative, very curious. And because they don't know the company, they're not inside the company, they actually think much more creatively and find those unknown unknowns. 
that you never can instruct software to find. Because the moment you instruct software to do something, software will do only what you told it. But our hackers, they will have the creativity to go beyond any any instruction we give them. They will think the unthinkable and they will define the unknown unknowns. And that is the power of, of the model. And of course, not all of them will all of the time do it. But when you have a million, there's always somebody who does find it. That's great. And it's sort of similar when we think about intelligence, you know, you want to try to, you know, again, you have to be careful so you don't save with intelligence that, look, I'm going to find you your unknown unknowns. But if you sort of set up the right information streams, the right information flows, whether it's sort of trying to understand what are the bad guys up to, you know, what's their intent, a little bit more fancy language, you know, what, what sort of capabilities do they have? What are we seeing elsewhere? You know, there's a whole set of flows you can set up. And, and if you get yourself in the way of those in a creative way, you're going to, again, get left of boom, as people like to call it, or, you know, the, you, you, you can do it. And, and this is where intelligence really can make a difference. Now, at the same yeah. time, I also think this is where we have to be humble and not make too grandiose claims about being able to catch every unknown unknown, because if we do, then not only our companies, but the industry in itself will sort of get in a bad place. And this is where I think a lot of the cybersecurity industry just looks bad after 30 years of having thrown lots of dollars at the problem and, and obviously haven't solved it. So uh, hum humble is the right way of going at it. Yeah, partially because people used to think that in cybersecurity, it's possible to reach 100% security. It isn't. It's exactly like COVID. You can uh, you can be very safe and you can put one more mask on and you will reduce the risk. You will never have zero risk. It's impossible, but you will reduce it. And and the 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 wisdom is in reducing the risk, not in crazily believing in some zero risk world because, because they don't exist. So you have to reduce the risk always. Keep reducing it. And the other thing uh, which everybody has to do is act faster because we will... Given that risk will never be zero, we will all be hacked or cracked at some point. No matter how, whether, even if you use recorded future on Hacker One, you're not completely safe. So you, you must have quick reaction times when something bad is happening. So you must see what's coming in and act quickly. And, and that is how you maintain high security, not by believing that there is some wall that you can build that will keep everything on the outside it's just that, that's exactly that wall analogy is sort of i think the the whole idea that you know people think that they're just keep building every year a thicker and thicker wall and a higher and higher wall and but there's so many problems that a the whole the wall is obviously full of holes that's number one and in fact it's full of holes that people are forgotten about and even if they try to keep inventory of it the cybersecurity industry has, you know, the, such high turnover of people so that the people who are manning the wall, running the wall, they turn over every 18 months and all the holes are forgotten. And that's why I think what you're doing, Morton, is so important because you find those holes and, and re basically many times maybe even report them back to people, even if they at one point may have known about them. And we'd like to think that, you know, again, with intelligence, we can go seek out and understand where those bad guys are going to go look for holes. But that yeah. wall analogy and the wall sort of approach that people have taken to defense just got to go because it's really bad. Yeah, and we have to remember the more you, more you build walls, the more there are places for holes. Yeah. So, so you should sort of <laughs> minimize the, the, 
amount of walls. You will need walls here and there, but the more you build them, the more you create risk. So it's it's really hard with cybersecurity because you must be sort of a minimalist. You must try to do the the minimum possible thing that will create security because for every piece of software you add, it's a security risk. If you so so you should try to keep it lean because that allows you to react quickly, redeploy, pull back, whatever you need to do in real time when, when something happens. And I think what was amazing here with the, the SolarWinds breach was how Microsoft acted. Like in a few days, Microsoft got all their cybersecurity people going. They uh, revoked all those cert- certificates. They traced down all the places where the malware had been. Like I would like to read a, a book or a story about what happened in those three, four, five days at Microsoft in their in their um, uh, cybersecurity center when they decided on how to roll out the 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 counter attack, so to speak, against against the SolarWinds um, malware. And of course, it was not just SolarWinds. We call it the SolarWinds breach, but there were there was more than just one company uh, involved and breached. But but I, but there I. It was beautiful to see how quickly somebody could act to to stop it. Our thanks to Martin Mikos, CEO at HackerOne, and Christopher Alberg, CEO at Recorded Future, for joining us. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com slash intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast production team includes coordinating producer Caitlin Mattingly. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with executive editor Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Thank you.